Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. This is episode 491. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about gun modifications that I talked about uh, probably about a year ago when I recorded an episode called Your Gun, Your Way. So today is 15th of November, 2019. Just a quick reminder that this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions, makers of fantastic Kydex holsters, outside the waistband, inside the waistband, hybrid holsters, and uh, I just I can't say enough good things about Concealment Solutions. Yeah, I know that there's a lot of holster makers out there. A lot of people making good quality holsters, not to take anything away from any of the others. Uh, if you guys remember, just a couple episodes ago, I had Spencer Keepers, makers of uh, he's a he's a manufacturer of fine fine appendix in inside the waistband appendix inside the waistband holsters which I've got two of Spencer Keepers holsters and he's the founder of the company. Just that concealment solutions really just seems to kind of stand out for me if you want to carry strong side uh, and and you want to carry especially if you want to carry outside the waistband and still keep your gun very well concealed. That's one of the really cool things I like about my Cobra outside the waistband is that it just keeps everything very well concealed. It keeps a Glock 19, an M&P 9 uh, 2.0 compact, very well concealed. Glock 48. As soon as I got my Glock 48, I called up Jason and uh, and asked him to uh, make me a Glock 48 holster. And uh, it wasn't too long. I had it on my doorstep and so it's it's i can't say enough great things about them check them out concealmentsolutions.com and if you use the one word coupon code handgun world that's one word handgun world you get a 10 percent discount when you uh when you purchase when you complete your purchase at concealmentsolutions.com so gun modifications back on november 15th pretty much a year ago uh, how about that? November 15th, 2018. One year ago, I did episode 468, which I, I entitled it Your Gun, Your Way. And I discussed modifying your handgun. Should you do it? Should you not do it? And, you know, is it is it the right thing to do? Is it going to help you? Is it not going to help you? What about the liabilities and things like that? I'm talking about a carry pistol. Everybody knows if you have a gun that's dedicated for competition or for or as a range toy or something like that, yeah, you're probably going to be modifying it. But let's talk about a, a carry gun, a gun that's often drawn from concealment. In other words, if you're going to use it to defend your life, if that awful day comes, that, that we hope that day never comes. You know, I've said this probably a couple of hundred times. I don't go looking for trouble, but sometimes trouble finds me. And so that's why I carry a gun, because sometimes trouble finds me, and I can't predict it. I get a real kick out of people that say, well, you know, I sometimes carry a gun. I sometimes carry a gun. And sometimes I'll even go on further to say, well, I only carry a gun when I think I might need it. And I, the reason I say I get a kick out of it, I'm actually kind of amazed when somebody says, well, you know, I only carry a gun when I think I might need it. Because the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that is, how do you know? How, 
how do how do you have that ability to predict? That's what's amazing. I I guess I guess some people just really have an incredible ability to predict to actually know what's going to happen to them in the future and when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen and what kind of tool they might need to fix the problem of trouble finding them isn't that amazing don't you kind of get surprised by that that some people just have that amazing ability to predict that because i don't and and i i don't know anybody but i guess there are some people out there because they're the ones that are just firm in their belief that they only carry a gun when they when they're going to need to carry a gun. So interesting. I always thought that was pretty pretty amazing to hear something like that. Of course, I'm being sarcastic there, but so concealed carry guns, concealed carry guns. Now, I've had Carl Wren with KR Training on this podcast before. As a matter of fact, Carl did. A few guest podcasts for me. Uh, one time when I was out, I took a whole month off the show, and I had different people do different. They were guest hosts. They were they took my place. and And Carl interviewed a couple of real good people. One of them was John Dobb, and uh, uh, one of them was David Yamani. I hope I got that pronun- pronunciation right. And so, and I've also taken some of Carl's training, Carl Wren's uh, KR training uh, pistol classes in Central Texas, not too far from Austin. Incredible classes, one of the best trainers I've had a chance to train under. And he recently, I'll link to his blog article that I'm going to talk about right now. I'll link to it. So check out the show notes at handgunworld.com for this episode 491. In his blog, he he basically did a very detailed analysis. He writes about a very detailed analysis about aftermarket modifications. Do they do they really help you shoot better? And and Carl, I got to say, if you're listening, this is probably one of the best articles on this subject, if not the best on this subject that I've ever read. Because in typical Carl Wren fashion, he does a great analysis. He actually goes out and tests this you know 30 40 50 rounds of shooting in different kinds of uh, kinds of drills he talks about seven seven drills that he did at different yards and everything with uh, different modifications and whether they really improved his shooting and the results are kind of surprising because for a long time for many years i got to admit this to you folks for many years i i was a firm pretty much hardcore believer that you have to keep your gun stock uh, in terms of the gun you're going to carry. You carry a gun, you got to keep stock. You know, change out the sights. Nothing wrong with that. Change out the sights and and maybe a couple of small grip modifications if you need it. You know, if you need to be able to reach the controls a little bit better or whatever. And then leave it alone. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. And there's, let's talk about that school of thought. That school of thought, which I used to be part of of that. I used to be a, a member of that school, but I don't think I am anymore a, a member of the school of thought of keeping guns in stock configuration when you're going to be carrying them. You know, I, especially like, you know, for, for, for many years I've, I've carried Glocks. And, and of course now, you know, my equally favorite carry pistol is an MP9 2.0 compact. 
which is basically a Glock 19 size in an M&P. But the M&P, I think, has gone a step further in a really good direction, maybe a couple of steps further in a good direction, and probably an actual improvement over a Glock 19. Yeah, yeah, I said that. I said that. <laughs> Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0 versions especially, I think, have have outdone the Glock 19 in a gun pretty much the same size. So it's great. It's great to have this kind of selection and choices, isn't it? So Carl did this test. And again, check out the links in the show note. I'll link directly to Carl's blog on this. But he used a Glock 42 as a test gun. And he explains why he used a Glock 42, the 380 version, a Glock single stack 380. He also goes on to make a special note that the Smith & Wesson EZ 380 Uh, came out since he had originally written the article, and he likes the EZ380 better than the G42. I've actually never had a chance to shoot the Smith & Wesson EZ380, but I would like to, Um, and I don't know, maybe I just might have to pick up one of those. Before I go any further, let me say something about the 380, the 380 caliber. A lot of people get really down on the 380 caliber, and I don't. I... I think it's actually a viable self-defense cartridge, self-defense round. Does it mean I would recommend that as your primary carry gun? No. Do I consider a three eighty my primary carry gun? No. I don't consider it my go-to gun. But I'm also not going to say that you're helpless if you got a 380 because you're not and specifically a Glock 42 or a Smith and Wesson EZ 380 because the barrel length on these guns is long enough to where if you get the right ammunition in a 380 you can get some decent performance out of that round and they're so easy to shoot. 380s are so easy to shoot. So you know what else that means, don't you? It means that you can put a lot of rounds fairly quickly, fairly accurately, where they need to be. And everybody says, well, you know, people love cliches in the gun industry, don't they? And one of the cliches out there that you hear a lot is, speed is fine, but accuracy is final. I think there's some truth to that and there's some fallacy to that. So if you take the if you take the side that that's gospel truth that speed is fine but accuracy is final then one good case for the 380 pistol something like a Glock 42 or a Smith and Wesson EZ 380 is you can be very very accurate with those guns. And so you're going to be able to do quite well and possibly end the fight if you have to use your gun with a gun that's easy to shoot like that. They're far easier to shoot than some of the single stack 9 millimeters out there. They're far easier to shoot than a, a J-frame revolver with a... How about a J-frame uh, revolver with 357 Magnums in it? Man, you ever try to shoot that? Even if you download uh, a J-frame down to 38 special. Let's say you got a, a small snub revolver in 357, but you download it to 38 special carry loads. It's still going to be much more difficult to shoot than something like a Glock 42 or, or a Smith & Wesson uh, 380 or, or a gun of similar type. 
Even my uh, Ruger LCP2, which I totally love that gun, and my car P380. Those things are they're, they're pretty easy to shoot. I was amazed. Now, if you go back and look at the Modern Handgunners video that Ben Branham and I did several months ago, we put the Glock 42 through a pretty good test ourselves. And, um, you know, we didn't do a, a modification analysis like Carl Wren did, but we put that gun through a pretty good test, and we were both pretty in, impressed with the Glock 42 and the Ruger LCP version, too. Both of us were very, very impressed with the LCP2. Check out Modern Handgunners at YouTube. It's been a while since we put a video up there, but we put out some pretty good ones, and uh, they were gun analysis, and I got to tell you, we were both pretty impressed with the Ruger LCP2. So they're easy to shoot. You can get some good accuracy. Now, I think there's a little bit of fallacy to the speed is fine, and but the accuracy is final. Um, consider the other side of that argument. I'm not saying you don't have to be accurate. So please don't anybody accuse me of saying you don't need to be accurate. You certainly do need to be accurate. But if you're so slow, so slow to shoot and, and to, and to shoot follow up shots. I mean, what if, what if it takes you, what if it takes you five seconds to draw your gun. Spencer Keeper and I, Spencer Keepers and I talked about this in the interview that I did with him a few episodes back. What if it takes you five seconds to draw your gun? I don't care how fast. I mean, I don't care how accurate you can shoot. If it takes you five seconds to draw your gun, it's probably over. You probably won't get a chance to shoot. You know, if it takes you three seconds to do a follow-up shot after your first shot, that's, that's just way too slow. That's way too slow. So you got to be a little speedier than that. You got to have some speed. You you do have to have speed and accuracy, a reasonable amount of speed and, and a good reasonable amount of accuracy. So don't don't accept the argument that just because you can punch 1-inch groups in 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 a piece of paper with your handgun at 7 yards, if it takes you a long long time to do that, I, I really, I would argue, I would say that you probably don't have skills good enough to defend yourself. You have to have a reasonable amount of speed. So back to Carl's article. I don't want to get too far off track and off on a tangent. So let's see. One of the things that Carl did when he, when he used this uh, Glock 42 is he obviously he made different modifications on it. And he talks about how much of an improvement each of the modifications made for him. And this is probably one of the first times I've ever seen anybody do this and talk about it because it's something I've always wondered myself. And I I think I'm probably going to do a test similar to this uh, maybe maybe in two or three months. I might want to see what kind of results I get compared to what Carl Wren got in his... But one of the things he talks about here is a ghost trigger. And, you know, ghost triggers are very popular, especially for Glock pistols. The Ghost G42 connector, which basically gives it a little bit lighter and smoother trigger pull, but also suitable for self-defense, meaning not too light. He said he got about a 20% improvement in his shooting. 20% better just by putting in a ghost trigger. A combination of faster and better points and a little bit better 
hit factor and better times and things like that. So I think if you put a trigger in your gun, if you're going to change the trigger, as long as you're not going too light on a carry gun. You know, for example, my M&P 2.0 compact that I have, I put an apex trigger in that, an apex flat-faced trigger. And it really did not reduce the trigger pull weight from stock very much. What it did is it really made it, it made it a shorter trigger travel. It made it a better crisp break and a better reset. And, and I can shoot better. I can shoot an M&P 9 compact. I can shoot it much better with the apex trigger in it than I can with the stock trigger. And I've been testing that a lot in the last year and, and three or four months since I first bought a uh, an M&P 2.0 compact. And I have two of them. I have one completely stock, absolutely completely stock, sights and everything. And I have another one where the only modification I made is putting in the apex trigger. And I'm much better with the apex trigger. There's just no question. I can't I can't even deny that in any way, shape, or form. It just it I can shoot better with it. Now, if somebody's a brand new shooter, if somebody's a beginner, then I don't recommend spending a whole lot of money on any modifications at all. I would recommend, as I've said many, many, many times, to give your gun a thousand round trigger job. Thousand round trigger job means this you shoot the gun a thousand rounds minimum. Now I prefer a 2,000 round trigger job, especially if, you, if you're shooting a 9mm, it's, it's so cost effective, it's so low cost these days, it doesn't cost much to, to shoot 2,000 rounds. And I mean some, some real practice and training, like going to competition matches, going to a training class, taking a private lesson, stuff like that, not just going to a public range and standing there um, and standing perfectly still and putting holes in paper. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some real practice and training. I just simply shoot the, the M&P with the, with the Apex trigger better. So for Carl, he got a 20% improvement just by putting in the Ghost trigger. And, and he's got all kinds of details about how he came to that conclusion. So go check it out. Then he put Trigicon HD sights on that Glock 42, which I'm a huge fan of Trigicon HD sights. Let's see, how many pistols do I have with those? One, two, three. I got three pistols with the uh, Trigicon HD sights, and I've got one with the uh, Ameriglow Hackathorn sights, which I really like that. I got that. Matter of fact, I have that on my G43. On my Glock 43, I have Ameriglow Ken Hackathorn sights. I got, a, I got a nice orange front sight with a tritium vial right in the middle of it. And then I got flat, plain black rear sight. And I really like that setup. But these Trigicon HDs are great. And uh, Carl seemed to think so too. Because, let's see, what does it say right here? He picked up another 7% improvement over the stock gun. So... An extra 7% improvement in his shooting by going to Trigicon HD sights. And for me, I, I'd say it might have been even better than that. Now, I can shoot, a, for example, a Glock pistol, which have horrific sights from, from the factory. I've done plenty of shooting 
of a Glock pistol with the factory Glock sights. I've gone to competition matches and I've gone to training classes with them. And you know what? By the way, they've never broken on me. Those plastic sights, that's right, that, that, that Glock puts on their pistols. I've shot them a lot and I've trained with those sights a lot. They've never broken on me. People do complain and they have reported that the, that the, that the sights, the plastic sights break, especially the front sight. It just, it just hasn't happened to me. Doesn't mean that that's proof of anything or a scientific test or anything like that. It just means it's never happened to me. And I shoot a lot. I shoot more than the average person shoots their pistols. So take that for, for what it's worth. However, I don't shoot very well with the Glock sights when I compare it to changing them out and putting on something like Trigicon HDs, Ameriglow Ken Hackathorn. Back in the day, I used to use uh, True Glow TFO sights. Ben Branham still uses True Glow TFOs on his M&P, and I've seen him shoot very well with those True Glow TFO sights. A TFO means tritium fiber optic, in case you didn't know that. And it, they're great. And they're, they're a great combination. They're, they're excellent in the day. They're excellent at night. So you get the, both, the, the best of both worlds with those sights, and you can be pretty accurate with those sights the the rear notch is nice and wide on on uh, true glow tfo sights wide enough anyway i think so there's that next carl goes on to talk about the mag release button and i think that's kind of an interesting part of his blog post there he shows a close-up difference in the uh, ghost tack mini mag release compared to the stock magazine release and he, and he talked about uh, a, a, an improvement of, what does it say right here? He actually wrote this down in his article. Looks like he got a 52% performance increase. The total score, total score, with the trigger, the sights, and the mag release showed a 52% performance improvement. Just making those three modifications. The, uh, the better trigger... The sights, in other words, putting in the ghost connector, the sights going to Trigicon HDs, and then going to a special mag release. And i tell you, one mag release I really do like is I, I like the stock fourth generation mag release and the fifth gen on Glock pistols. I really like the mag release on Smith & Wesson M&P pistols. On my third generation Glock, I absolutely hate the magazine release button on the third gen Glock. So I switched it out to the Vickers model. And uh, and I got the Larry Vickers slide release, which I'll talk about, or slide stop, whatever the name you want to give that. Such a silly argument. We all know what it is. We all know what it does. But I really like the Vickers. I like Larry Vickers parts. The I like his mag release for third gen pistols. Never tried his mag release for 4th gen, but I understand they're pretty good. And I like his slide release for any Glock pistols. And that's one weakness, I would say, is on a Smith & Wesson M&P. Um, I don't like the slide stop or the slide release on Smith & Smith and Wesson M&Ps. One of the things I don't like about it is that I have a hard time reaching it. And I don't know very many decent manufacturers of an extended slide stop or an extended slide release for an M&P pistol. Do you? I just they just don't seem to be out there that are that are really good. Uh, change my mind if somebody knows of a, of a decent 
replacement aftermarket slide release for an M&P pistol? Uh, let me know about that because I would love to. I would love to find one, maybe jump on it like a cheap suit and check it out and put it on my gun if there's a decent one out there. But I, I just can't seem to find one. So the amazing thing here, Carl, so far, just by making three fairly simple modifications to his Glock 42 pistol, uh, shot 52% better. Then he added a slide racker, which helps you rack the slide, and it really helps you perform reloads a lot better. And uh, even got more improvement in his shooting percentage. So now he's up to an 80% improvement by adding on a slide racker. So now he's up to four modifications. And, uh, and he can shoot the gun 80% better. Now, I've seen Carl Wren shoot because I've trained with him uh, three times now. I've taken three of his classes. So he's a darn good shooter. And like I said, if you're, if you're a novice, if you're just starting out, I, I, I can't promise you an 80% improvement by making these modifications. But once your skill level gets better, once you're no longer a beginner and you're in the intermediate or advanced or close to advanced shooting level, that's when these modifications, I think, are going to give you a lot of benefit. I think when you're first starting out, a 2,000 round trigger job might give you an 80% improvement, to be honest with you. I really do. I mean, if you if you shoot a 30-round test when you're first starting and you first get your gun and then shoot 2,000 more rounds and then do a 30-round test after you've shot 2,000 rounds, I bet, I bet you get between 50 to 80% improvement just doing that. Prove me wrong. Send me a voicemail message, 210-646-1727, an email handgunworld at gmail.com, a Facebook post. You can find me, Handgun World, on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, whatever. Get a hold of me and let me know uh, if, I'm, if I'm wrong about the 2,000-round trigger job. So in other words, if you're a person that, that took my challenge, went and shot some competition, training classes, private lessons, total of 2,000 rounds, if you cannot shoot much better than when you first started or the first time you bought the gun and you ran your first box of ammo through it. If, if there's not much of an improvement, I'd like to hear about it. And I'd like, to, I'd like, to, like you to tell me about your test and what went right, what went wrong, and what, what helped you, what didn't help you by, by giving it a 2,000-round trigger job. So again, good stuff by Carl Wren. And I'll just add in the Bob Main results, Okay. So I want to talk about, first of all, a couple of Glock 19s that I have. I'm also a big fan of doing grip modifications and some, some frame modifications, especially to Glock pistols if you own and like to shoot Glock pistols like I do. I'm a big fan of getting rid of the finger grooves. However, you know, I shot fairly well with the finger grooves. I just like the feel of it in my hand with no finger grooves. And of course, if you buy a Gen 5, that's not a problem. I'm also a big fan of texturing, good, decent texturing. I, I don't think that the texturing on a Glock pistol is quite good enough, even on the Gen 4s and Gen 5s. The M&P pistol, wow, the 2.0 version, that is superior texture. 
it's great. Texture does a lot. It helps you maintain a good firm grip and good control of the handgun. And accuracy and recoil management pretty much starts with maintaining good control. Good grip and good control on the handgun. And maybe that's a whole other podcast episode that I'll get into later. How to how to get how to keep good control of a pistol so that you can get good accuracy. I just gave myself maybe a an, an a idea for an upcoming episode. But texture's a big deal. Now, one thing I did an experiment a few years back. I had somebody take the finger grooves off my Gen 3 Glock 19 and only texture the front and the back strap. So the sides of the grip are just like they were when the gun came out of the factory. But I just I put aggressive texture on the front trap front strap and a little bit less aggressive texture on the back strap. That worked very, very well with me, and the great advantage of that is the smooth side is up against my body. So it's still the smooth side, so it's not digging into my side, or if I appendix carry that thing, it's not digging into it's not scratching the heck out of my skin. And that was one good improvement that I noticed from that. I'm also a big fan of undercutting the trigger guard. And even on an M&P pistol, and even some others out there that don't come with a real good undercut trigger guard, it helps a little bit, even if you just undercut it a little bit. Even sometimes an eighth or a quarter of an inch can make a huge improvement. It just seems to let you get a more comfortable grip and a higher grip on the pistol. It gets your hand up higher towards the uh, towards the bore of the gun. And most people, not everybody, but most people when they can get a higher grip on the gun, most of the time they're able to control it better and shoot a little bit better. Now an M&P naturally, naturally kind of gives you a really nice comfortable high grip. But I just think it would be nice to have a little bit more undercut. And, you know, some of the guns out there, like the CZs and the H&Ks and the, and the SIG 320s, a lot of them already come with a nice undercut trigger guard. And that's one of the reasons why, why they come that way. I'm also a huge fan of adding some texture to the thumb pads on both sides of your gun. The strong side and the weak side. Uh, thumb pads where your thumb rests uh, so so put the gun in one hand put the gun in the right hand and look at where you're if you're using a thumbs forward it really makes a big difference if you're using a thumbs forward grip and then put the gun in your left hand and see where your thumb thumb falls on the side of the uh, frame and I'm a big fan of putting some texture there helps me anyway with with recoil management and control now, triggers. Triggers. After you give your gun the 2,000 round trigger job, then I put the Apex trigger in. I have not actually ever used a Ghost trigger on a Glock. What I have used is I've used a 3.5-pound um, Glock connector, which I still have two of them. 3.5-pound Glock uh, trigger connector. That, that makes a significant improvement, but for me, for carry purposes, I think it lightens the trigger a little bit too much. A lot of people make the argument, uh, the liability argument of a lighter trigger. Some people, some people just say, hey, you know what, I just don't want to accidentally shoot myself with too light of a trigger on my carry gun. And I understand and I appreciate both of those arguments. 
So I like to pretty much keep my carry pistols four and a half pounds or or even slightly heavier. A really good quality nice trigger at five pounds on a Glock or on an M&P pistol seems to really, really work very well, at least for me. So there's some food for thought for you. And I, and I think you could make a pretty good argument that you did not render your gun unsafe by going to a four and a half or a five pound trigger. You know, it's interesting because look at all the 1911s that come out of the factory with three and a half pound triggers. There's a lot of them out there, four pound triggers, single action triggers, three and a half, four pound. What I, and that seems to be okay with everybody. It's okay to, to, to carry a 1911 with a three and a half pound trigger, right? But don't lower your Glock down to three and a half pounds. Don't ever do that. No, no, no. Well, see, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lower a Glock down to three and a half pound trigger if I was going to carry it. But isn't that an interesting question? Why is it okay for a 1911, but it's not okay for a striker fired gun? You know, so think about that. Yeah, I know. It's got a thumb safety. Requires that you have to disengage the safety before you fire the gun. But once you disengage that safety, which many people are very good at doing because they've practiced it, you've now got that three and a half pound single action, pretty light trigger. Some people have a three pound trigger even on their 1911s. So, you know, think about that. Even some people who shoot double action, single action guns. Like, for example, I'm going to pick one that, uh, that I used to have for a long time, a, a SIG Legion, P229 Legion, which uh, I don't have that one anymore, but the single action on that gun was fantastic. And, I mean, it, maybe it was four pounds, but it felt like it was about three pounds. So, seems to be okay with guns like that, but people, they seem to have fits when you when you modify your striker fired guns to a a three and a half pound trigger again i still wouldn't recommend you do that for carry purposes but just some food for thought i gave you there sights sights are usually a must modification i think and the reason i say i think they're a must modification is because you there there's it's every person sees sights differently every person uses sights differently and the effect that sights have on your shooting is different for every person. And rarely have I ever noticed that stock sights on a gun that come from the factory, rarely have I ever noticed that they're a real good long-term solution. In other words, most manufacturers on a stock gun don't put a fiber optic front sight. Some do. There are some guns out there you buy. I think the Springfield uh, XDS doesn't that gun come with a fiber optic front sight, if I remember correctly? But most manufacturers don't put that on the gun. But you can really greatly benefit from a fiber optic front sight, red or green color. I happen to like green fiber optic front sights. And that's where something like a Trigicon HD is so good, those sights. Because they act like a front fiber optic front sight they act like it even though the front sight's not really fiber optic it it you see it like it is a a fiber optic front sight and i can understand why manufacturers pretty much don't put those on out of the out of the box because cost 
They don't want to spend the money on that. I get that. Okay, the last thing I want to say about sites has to do with with red dot sites. And there's no question that red, red dot sites are popular, very popular. All kinds of red dot sites are popular. Trijicon, uh, RMRs, Holison, uh, Aimpoints, Shields, a lot of different brands out there that seem to, that a lot of people seem to really like just based on mainly personal preference. I can tell you a couple weeks ago, I shot a competition match and I was on a squad with a guy who, who I think won the overall match. And he had a Glock 17, a fourth generation Glock 17 with a Trijicon RMR. And this guy could shoot unbelievably well with that. And it was not a fancy gun. It looked like it was slightly modified. Now, I have no idea what he did to his trigger. So, But all I could do is see the external modifications. And I asked him what kind of a Glock it was. And he said, it's just a 4th gen Glock 17. Probably had a slightly modified trigger, and he had a Trijicon RMR. He just did not miss with that gun. And he was fast. And he was good. And he had no problem ever. He ne- I never heard him complain that he couldn't find the dot because I'm telling you, the guy didn't miss. And he was incredibly fast. So I think, I personally think, in the hands of a good shooter, a red dot can really make a huge difference. He did have suppressor height nights, uh, suppressor height backup iron sights, so that allows that allows the shooter to be able to get a good sight picture if the red dot fails, which I think is very important. I've seen some people out there with red dotted pistols that have no backup sights on them whatsoever. And, I mean, I think you're just taking a risk. If your red dot fails, you're kind of stuck. You're stuck point shooting at that, at that time. And, of course, I've taken a class on point shooting, and I'm a big fan of that, too, within certain distances. But it's got to be well practiced. And it's got to be, again, you have to really train yourself in the art of point shooting to be good at it. So, I certainly would not only rely on a red dot. I wouldn't do that on my AR-15s either. You know, I got backup sights on my AR-15s. I would not rely solely on my red dot because electronics can fail. That's just the way it is. That'll probably never change. Electronics can fail. So, I'll let you chew on that one for a while too. But anyway, this is pretty much what I wanted to say on modifications. It's it's kind of a follow-up on the episode that I did exactly one year ago uh, called Your Gun, Your Way, episode 468. And I'd invite you to go back and listen to that. I'm going to put a link to the show notes for episode 468 and listen to that. There's some similarities to this episode, but I've I've come to some different conclusions in the last year that I wanted to share with you today you got some feedback i told you earlier how to how to give me some feedback also please remember if you listen to itunes or if you use itunes or apple podcasts to get this show 
Uh, please consider giving me a review over there, a written review. I would, I'd love that. That would be great. Uh, don't forget my Amazon store. If this show helps you in some way, but you don't have a lot of extra money in your pocket, how about whenever you do some Amazon shopping and the Christmas season's coming up, it's rapidly coming upon us, or it's actually already here. If you do some shopping on Amazon, uh, go to handgunworld.com first, and you'll see a link there for my Amazon store. Go through my page and my affiliate with Amazon before you do all your shopping. If you could just remember to do those two steps, it would help me out. Amazon supports me. I get a little bit of a fee, and you don't have to spend any extra money. So that's a cool deal. If you really like to learn by video, Ben Branham and I have over 80 videos on the Shooters Club, and we just put some new stuff up there, and I just put a nice audio podcast with Spencer Keepers on pure shooting. And that's available to all Shooters Club members. It's exclusive content. You can get it for only $8 a month or save some money, $75 a year. Go to ShootersClubMembers.com. There'll be a link for that on my website as well. Think about some of this stuff on modifications that I've talked about. I've kind of done a 180 in the last five or six years on the concept of modifications. I've done a 180. Used to not support gun modifications too much. Now I pretty much do. And I don't I don't have any problem admitting that I've changed my mind on something. I'm not stubborn. I'm open-minded. So when I see the validity of something, then I reserve the right to change my mind and, and tell you about it. Because I want to share stuff with you. You're the listener. You're the most important person in this show is you the listener, because you keep tuning in every episode, and I very much appreciate that. So with all that said, folks, thanks for tuning in. I'm Bob Main. You've just listened to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I carry a gun because I can't carry a cop. And remember, evil does not exist in the holster. It exists in the hearts of men and women, and we see it almost every day, don't we? Evil, it exists. Whether you want to admit that it exists or not, and it exists in the hearts. We can't legislate against evil. We really can't do too much about evil except fight back and pray that the Almighty God takes care of that problem. Remember, read your Bible every day, shoot straight, and shoot safe. I'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Well, yeah, it's getting tough out there. Yeah, no doubt. I work in home invasions, mostly. Uh, Some murder... Uh, occasional rape uh, and I'm a huge advocate of gun control absolutely uh, competition is stiff and it it doesn't help that every time I kick in a door or smash a window that I face the possibility of being shot and killed listen the fact is allowing citizens to own guns creates a hostile work environment for me and my associates. Uh, no one should have to work under, under those conditions. Uh, I say make them all illegal. Absolutely. Make all gun ownership illegal. I mean, I break the law for a living. I'm a professional, so it doesn't really bother me. <clears throat> I mean, but personally, knowing that most homeowners don't have guns... Uh, that would make me a lot more comfortable, uh, more confident, and it would surely increase productivity.
No doubt. No doubt. Your local violent criminals work hard and put their lives on the line every time they attempt to murder, rape, abduct, or assault a member of the citizenry. They desperately need your help. With your support, there may finally come a day when a violent criminal can have his way with you or someone you love without the fear, anxiety, and stress caused by knowing there's a possibility his victim might be armed. Please show your support by voting for stronger anti-gun legislation because criminals prefer unarmed citizens. Yeah.